Hi everybody. Um, we are back. We're going to be doing um, a second series on Holy Women. We did Holy Women Part 1, where we did the Shiva Navios, um, I think it was back in the summer, and there were a few people, few people who asked if we could do a little bit more about women. One of them is actually Rifka Feder, so tonight's class is on Rifka, so shout out to you. Um, and thank you all for joining. Hi, everybody. Hi. Hi, Shifra. <laughs> um, okay, so we'll get started. Um, what we did last time was we specifically went through the Shivanavios, which were, um, one of them happened to have been one of the Imahos. Um, but what we're going to do tonight is we're going to do Rivka, and then we're going to do Rachel, we'll do Leah, we'll get to the story of Dina, we'll get to the story of Russ, and um, we'll get started like this. So when we think of Rivka, there are many things that come to our mind when it comes to Rivka. We know that Rivka was filled with Midas Chesed. Rivka helped Eliezer when he came to the camels. Rivka was very tznias. Rivka is referred to as um, Shoshana ben Hachochem, right? She's a rose among the thorns. But what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to break down the story of Rivka and the the camels, Rivka and the story of Eliezer, Rivka and the story of Yitzchak, Rivka and the story with Esau and Yaakov, and try to build up this picture and this image of who Rivka was. And I say this all the time whenever it comes to stories from the Torah. You know, there are great stories. Some of them are, you know, seem like great bedtime stories, but obviously all the stories that were recorded in the Torah are brought down for us to learn a lesson. So we're supposed to be learning something from Rivka. What is that message? So like I said, her obvious character trait would be chesed, um, her kindness. Um, the first time that we actually meet her was when Eliezer was going out and looking for a spouse for Thank you, Hashem. I'm reading the messages. When Eliezer was out and looking for a spouse for Yitzchak. So Avraham sends Eliezer on a very important journey. And he says, I need you to go find a wife for my son. He's a very eligible bachelor, but I want you to go and find him someone from our family. Go to the town of Haran and try to find somebody. And he's like, how am I going to find somebody? And, Hashem, and Avraham tells him, don't worry, you will find somebody. So he goes out on his journey. And obviously the first story that ends up happening in the Torah is that Eliezer goes and he wants to fill up his camels and he meets this beautiful woman. And she goes and she said, not only will I get you water, but I will get water for all your camels. And there were many camels. And um, she was able to get water for all of them. And right away, Eliezer was like, whoa, thank you, Hashem. Uh, you sent me the right person. And he said, wait, can you just tell me, like, who's your family? And she said, oh, I'm from this family. I'm from, you know, my father is Basua, my brother is Laban, and whatever. And he realized, like, oh, amazing. You're related. You're from the family of Avram. This is perfect. So she invites him back to the house and she says, you can come to my house. And he comes with all of his dowry and he has everything ready to take Rivka and bring her back home to Yitzchak. And we meet Lavan. Lavan comes running out and he hugs him and he kisses him. And obviously he's not there just like, you know, to be so happy for him. He's there because he wants to see if he has any money. He knows that Avraham is very rich um, and he wanted some money. And um, he stays there overnight. And then Rivka, we learn, comes from this home of Besuel and of Lavan. And the Torah repeats it more than once. And it says that who were, who were Besuel and who was Lavan? And they were from, they were Arami. 
Um, now we can interpret it as Arami, they, they were from a place called Aram, but really we could also refer to it as, we can understand that Arami was, they were Ramai, which were, they were tricksters, right? They were people who did trickery, they were people who lied, people who stole, people who were very care, very much cared about physicality and money. And Rivka was opposite from them. Rivka was not like this. And we learned that Rivka was a very kind person. Rivka was very tsanua. When she went to get water for the camels, she did it in a very tsneous manner. She was also, um, it refers to Rivka in the Torah, even though she says she was beautiful, it says that she was a basula and nobody went near her, nobody touched her. And the town that she was from was obviously not the finest. And um, she was able to rise above that and she was very dignified and people looked at her in that manner. And um, when she was ready to go, she was very happy to pack her bags and leave this kind of home. And like the question arises, and we'll try to get to this at the end of this class, the question arises is that if she comes, you know, she's such an incredible person and she's so tsneous and she's so modest, like why did Hashem put her in a home like this? And why did he make her like a rose among the thorns? Why did she have to have a wicked father and a wicked brother? As opposed to Yitzchak, who came from a home of Avram and Sarah, who were very righteous, good tzaddikim, good people. So why did she need to have to come? What was the need to have her come from a home like this? Um, just so you know, a lot of these classes and the thoughts that I'm teaching are from um, the teaching of Rebetzin Leah Kohn. And she has an incredible series on powerful women. And so many of these ideas are from her. Um, so she packs her bags and she goes. And when she meets Yitzchak and he's out there in the field and he's davening mincha, she immediately, it says that she covers her face. Um, she had um, a scarf that she covered herself and she did it out of modesty. This is, by the way, one of the customs that we have for a wedding that we wear a veil, not to be confused with the Badekin, which is the story of Rachel and Leah, but the idea where we cover ourselves and we don't, let's say, we don't allow everyone to see us physically who we are right away for the first thing. She covered herself with a veil and she was able to see Yitzchak. And when it says that she was able to see Yitzchak, not only did she actually see him but she Rivka had this innate ability to be able to see people to see inside of them not just to see you know physically what you see is what you get she understood that Yitzchak was bound for greatness and that together they were to have Yaakov who was going to be the father of all the Jewish people so she realized right away that she was destined for greatness and she was going to be with Yitzchak and he was an incredible incredible person how are you over there? Trying to read all, <laughs> all the comments um, as they're coming in. So she was a modest person. She was a kind person. And she also had this ability to be able to see who people were. So now, as we continue along with the story, what ends up happening is that she gets married and she struggles with infertility. Like we'll see many of the Imahos actually struggle. We saw Sarah struggled. And we'll see later that Rachel struggles to have children. And it says something, which by the way, always bothered me. Um, maybe it's just me. I don't know if anybody else had this feeling where she davened for 20 years, um, her and her husband. She says that she davened in one corner and um, Yitzchak davened in the other corner and they both prayed for children. And obviously Hashem withheld it because it says that Hashem loves the prayers of great people. Um, and then it says that Hashem answered the prayers of Yitzchak. And very famously, Rashi says, why did he answer the prayers of Yitzchak? Because Yitzchak was a tzaddik ben tzaddik. And Rivka was a tzaddik ben Russia. So Rivka, we know, comes from a wicked home. So her prayers weren't necessarily answered. So this, on a simple, like on a shot level, is, it's okay, I understand. He comes from a greater home. 
but it seems, it, 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 I don't know if it's just me or maybe anybody else feels this way. It like irks you a little bit. Like one second, Rivka was a very great righteous person. So does that mean that her prayers were for naught, like for nothing? So it has to be that her prayers went somewhere. So she becomes pregnant and there were no sonograms, no pregnancy tests or anything. And she is, you know, they're very excited. Her and Yitzhak are very excited. And she starts to feel the baby kicking. And then she goes out and she passes Bate Medrash and she feels the baby kicking. And then she passes the houses of idol worship and she feels the baby kicking. Hi, Michelle. Um, she feels the baby kicking. So she, something is going on with inside of her and she's really not sure. And she gets a little scared. And she actually chooses not to tell Yitzchak, which is strange because her husband Yitzchak is an incredible person. So why wouldn't she just go to her husband who was a Navi, who was, you know, one of the Avos and he was the father of Avram, he was the child of Avram and Sarah. So why she choose not to? So she actually got a little scared. She's thinking, you know, I had a wicked father and I have a wicked brother and maybe there's some kind of demon child within me and I don't know. And I don't want Yitzchak to feel bad. I'm not sure what's going on here. And she chooses to go to, um, she chooses to go to the, to go see um, Shane. Okay, Shane Be'ever. She goes over to Shane and Shane was an incredible person. And she goes over there and she asks him like, what's going on? And she actually says something. Um, and I just recently heard this from my Rebetzin, Rebetzin Weinberg, for Weinberg, and she was saying how, like, what did I dive in for, right? Like, as mothers, like, are we allowed to catch a little bit? Are we allowed to say, like, I don't understand, like, what? I prayed, and I dive in, and I dive in, and now what is going on inside of me? I have this child who is kicking when he comes to the houses of idol worship, of Odazara. So Shame tells her the very famous um, nevuah, and he says, Shnei goyim bevitneich. You have two nations inside of you. You have one who is going to be Esav, the house of Esav, and you're going to have one that is going to be the house of the Jewish people. You're going to have Yaakov. And right away, she's like, okay, phew, right? Like, okay, I have two kids in me, two children, two different kingdoms. Okay, so now I a little bit understand what's going on here. And when that happens, it's like, one second, like, why would she be relieved when this happens? And she also felt a little bad, like she's praying and praying and praying. Where'd her prayers go? So the Shla explains something very, very incredible when it comes here to her tefillos. When her tefillos were not answered immediately, you know, it was kind of a letdown, especially for me. I was like, I don't understand. She's such a great person. Where'd her tefillos go? And we get scared sometimes that we think that like our tefillos, you know, we, we just put them out there and like we don't always hear them answered. And what ends up happening here is that Rivka's tefillos are actually so, so powerful. It could be that they're even stronger than Yitzchak's. Yitzchak prayed for a child. But Rivka's prayers went to be able to draw the good out of the evil. She was able to, her prayers were directed to pulling out the good that was within Asaph. So Asaph was evil, but Asaph wasn't all the way evil, right? We're going to learn as we talk about the brachos that Asaph, in his mind, in his head, Asaph was a very good person. He tried. He asked questions. He asked questions about Miser. He asked questions. Um, you know, he would bring food to, to Yitzchak. He had a relationship with Yitzchak. And to the point where his head was actually buried in Marasamach Pela, right? If he was all evil, then even his head wouldn't make it in, right? But what ended up happening here is that she saw that within Asaph, there was some good. And she was able to, with her tefillos, pull that good out. Now, who was that good? 
that good was Gerim, that eventually will come out of Esav, like Antoninus, right? Antoninus learned with Rebbe, Rebbe Udanasi. He was a very famous convert. Rebbe Akiva comes from the family of converts. Rebbe Akiva went and actually wrote the Talmud, right? He, he is Torah Shabbat Peh. She saw that within Esav, even though he was a bad person, she was able to pull the good out. In the beginning, when she felt like her prayers weren't answered and she has this evil child, she's like, I'm, I'm compared to Hagar, right? I'm a person who's married to a righteous person, but my children, my child is going to be bad. I'm just like Hagar, just like she had Yishmael with Avraham. So it could be that I'm just going to have Esav with Yitzchak. And Hashem says, no, it's not true. What you have within you are Shnei Goyim. You have Yaakov and you have Esav. And Rivka was able to pull that good out of the evil. And if you think about it, Evil in general, like what allows for evil to stand in this world? Like how do we even have evil? Like where, where does bad come from and what gives it chiyas? And the idea is that within all bad and within all difficulty, within all challenges, and I know not everybody wants to hear this, there's always some good within the challenge. There's always some good within the evil that allows the evil to stand. However, if you draw that good out of the evil, all you're left with is an empty shell of evil and that will not be able to stand. So Rifka's prayers, even though it seems like they weren't answered, they were directed to this exact point. Rifka's prayers were able to pull that good out of Esau and that allowed the Jewish people to stand till today. The fact that we're here today is because Rifka's prayers went for that right reason. Rifka's prayers were able to allow us to rise to our greatest levels because we don't have any more evil. Once you draw that good out of evil, it just stays to the side and that's it. Esav is just like an empty carcass. It's just an empty shell of who he is and the evil cannot stand. So her prayers were very, very strong and very, very much directed. So then the story continues and she has these two children and they're growing up and you know, when they're little, everything is great and everything is perfect. And as they get older, we start to see that one is a little bit more of a troublemaker, right? He's, you know, he's a, he's somebody who loves to hunt and he's out there in the field, Asav, right? And then we have Yaakov, who's Ishtam Yoshebohem. He's that angel child. He's perfect. He's learning Torah. He comes home with straight A's on his report card. He cleans up after dinner. He's like that perfect child. And then we have Asav, who's this like rambunctious, you know, kid who loves to hunt and like, you know, shoot animals and like ask his father good questions, right? So the Torah explains that Yaakov was loved. Rivka loved Yaakov. Rivka loves Yaakov. And Asa was loved very much by Yitzchak, right? So you would think like, Yitzchak is a great person. Like, how does he not see that Asa is a troublemaker? So obviously Yitzchak was such a great person that he saw the good within Aesop. He saw that he had potential. He, he saw that his, in his head he was in the right place. Physically, his body was not in the right place. But his mind, when he asked questions about Miser and salt and this and that, and he would bring his father food and he had to keep it of aim, his head was in the right way. His head was in the right place. But his heart, he wasn't really there. So Yitzchak was still giving him another chance. He's like, I'm going to give this kid another chance. He needs more and more chances. And this is something, by the way, that we can learn from parenting. Like, kids could always use an extra, like, another chance until, until it's over, right? And Rivka foresaw that it was really over and then he wasn't going to make it. So that's when she pulled the good out. So then she made it her business that Yaakov received those blessings. 
So she loved Yaakov because she saw within Yaakov the future of all the Jewish people. And she saw within him the potential for everything that will be and will, will come from this. And she realized that Yaakov needs those blessings. So she went through that whole ordeal, that whole spiel of dressing him up and using trickery. By the way, where did she learn this trickery from? Obviously, she grew up in the home of the Suol Lavan. She knew exactly how to do this, right? Um, so, yes, thank you, Hashem. Um, so she knew how to do this. She knew what to do. Thank you, Only Samchas. I'm so happy that there's... I feel like I said this before, that there's a person behind only some chas. Um, So she planned out this whole thing because she knew that Yaakov needed those blessings. So why did Yaakov need the brachos so badly? If Yaakov is so perfect, right? Yaakov is that perfect child, the straight A's, cleaning up after dinner, making his bed, right? What is so, why did he need those blessings so badly? So just like she was able to pull the bad out, uh, the good out of Esau, she also saw that within Yaakov, that there were going to be future people in the future with, within the Jewish people that are going to be bad. And she wanted to pull the bad out of the good. So Rivka was doing two things at once, okay? She was a multitasker, like any other mom or matriarch, right? She was able to draw the good out of the evil of Asa, and she was able to draw the evil out of the good of Yaakov. And she wanted to make sure that he had those blessings for the future of the Jewish people, that when we mess up and when we fall, we'll have those blessings to support us. We'll have those brachos instilled within us as a Jewish people, so no matter how many times we fall and how many mistakes that we made, no matter what, we'll have those brachos to fall on and those people will be able to be saved. So this is something so incredible that she was able to do and she made sure that it was done. And then she goes about the whole spiel of making sure that Yaakov gets the blessings and she tricked Yitzchak so that he would do it wholeheartedly. She didn't want it to be like, oh, Esau was a troublemaker. Okay, I'm not going to give him the blessings. I'm going to give the blessings to the goody-goody. No, she wanted him to give it to him wholeheartedly like he believed it, like he needed it, and he wanted it for the future. So we see that Rivka's ability to be sensitive to the insides of people is very, very strong. She wasn't just, you know, like Chesed and, and Sneas. It goes deeper than that. Where does Chesed and Sneas come from? It comes from an ability to be inward. She was an inward person, right? When we explain Sneas, he's not covering our elbows and our knees and things like that. Sneas is being an inner kind of person, tapping into the inner parts of people. She was able to see that in Yitzchak, she was able to see that in Asaph, and she was able to see that in Yaakov, and that's why she's an Ambi Yisrael. That's why she's a pillar, and she's one of our matriarchs. And just to end this, like, this whole um, thing off, um, I want to go back to the initial question of like saying how, how could it be that like Rivka, who's such a great and incredible person, and why would Hashem do this? Why would Hashem put her in a situation where she was a rose among the thorns, where she grew up in a home of, of tricksters and, and, and bad people and evil people and immoral people. Um, and the answer, obviously, is, is something very deep. And it's something that we need to understand on our personal levels, is that you only really grow from challenges. You only grow when you are tested in the specific areas that you are greatest in. If you are strong in a certain area, you'll find yourself being tested in those areas. Take Yosef HaTadik, for example, right? Yosef HaTadik, he is the pillar of Yisod, right? He's the pillar of, he's obviously, he's one of the Shpizen, he's one of the most, he's one of the Shvatim, he's the greatest person, but he represents Midas HaYisod. 
And what does Hashem do? Hashem puts him in the house of Isha's Potiphar, right? He's, he's working for Potiphar. He's being tested every single day. But it's like, how could you be Vida Seyusud if you're constantly being tested? It doesn't make sense. So what we learn from here is that Hashem is constantly going to be testing us in the areas that we shine in the most so that we can grow, right? Take Sarah, Avram and Sarah. Avram and Sarah, they're the pit of chesed, right? They're all about chesed and chesed and chesed and acts of kindness. What does Hashem tell them to do? Send away Hagar and Yishmael. But that doesn't make sense. If you represent chesed, no, no, no. No matter what, I'm going to keep them in my home. And Hashem says, no, I'm going to test you in that area of chesed. I'm going to show you that it's not so easy and that you shouldn't be doing chesed only for what other people think of you. You know, Avram could have said, oh, what do you mean? Like, we represent chesed. We can't send anybody out of our house. What is everybody else going to say about us? Or like, oh, I do chesed because it makes me feel good. I'm a better person because I do chesed. You only do chesed because that's what Hashem told you to do. And the same thing here, Rivka, how could it be? She's such a great, dignified, modest, sneeze person. And she's in this home of Vesua and Lavan. She's a rose among the thorns. And the answer is because Hashem wanted her to grow. Hashem wanted her to become the person that she was, to be able to really see people. She grew up in a home of people with trickery so that she can actually fully see who real people were. And this is one of like many incredible Midos and character traits that we can learn from Rivka. Um, and she was able to bring out Yaakov. Yaakov is the one who's going to be the father of all Jewish people. Yaakov is going to be the first one to go into Galas. That concept of us going into exile is something new and it happens with Yaakov when he goes down to Mitzrayim, right? It's the beginning It's the beginning of the end if you want to think about it. But it's not really the beginning of the end because she teaches Yaakov the lessons of what he'll need to go through exile. And she ensured that that happens through giving him the blessings. So um, I guess we'll end there. Thank you so much for joining. I'm going to try to read some of the comments. Um, and I hope you all enjoyed. Yes, we should daven for all the cholim. I see some people are asking requests for that. Um, okay, thank you so much for joining. This class will be saved um, in this new series of Holy Women. Um, and thank you so much for joining. Have a great night. Mm.